Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Cedar Run Community Church. We are glad to have you worshiping with us here today, live. For the first time ever in 31 years, Cedar Run Community Church is live streaming uh, a service. Uh, you know, the quarantine's beginning to uh, kind of like close out, the lockdown's lifting slowly uh, but surely. Uh, we'll be together soon, hopefully. Uh, and hopefully that lockdown wasn't all bad. Uh, hopefully we established some good daily habits with, uh, with time we didn't have before, godly habits that allowed us to kind of hit the spiritual reset button. And that's kind of how it played out for me. And now we're starting to reopen slowly but surely. The pace is increasing incrementally on the treadmill of Northern Virginia again. And we have another opportunity. Experts have been talking about post-COVID, what the new normal looks like. But what if Christians decided on a new normal as well? What if we refuse to get back in the hamster wheel? What if we don't fill in all those spaces that we took back for God during the lockdown? What if COVID became a turning point in the history of the universal church? like the great awakening uh, of the 18th century? What if in the 23rd century, theologians are writing about the 21st century the way we write about the 18th century? What if we had revival? So this morning, we'll be looking at this new normal, some of Jesus' teachings about it, what this new normal can and should look like. It's a jumping off point into a new way of life. And it's probably kind of like skydiving or a roller coaster. Uh, now, I've never done skydiving, but you can ask my father-in-law, John Seferic, did some halo jumps. Uh, you could ask Bill Height probably. But I'd imagine that it's like terrifying to start, but exhilarating once you get going. So we're going to look at one of Jesus' teachings this morning about this way of life, the kingdom of God. And it comes from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 16, verse 16. So easy even I could remember. Luke 16, 16. It's from the NIV translation. And here's how it reads. Just one single verse. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And everyone is forcing their way into it. So this morning we'll be looking at three keys to the kingdom of God. First, what is the kingdom of God? Secondly, pressing into the kingdom of God. And thirdly, how do we stumble forward, stumbling forward? So what is the kingdom, pressing into the kingdom, and how do we move forward? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would open uh, our hearts, Lord, our eyes and our ears uh, so we can see, hear, and understand what it is you have to say to us from your word today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, everyone is forcing their way into it. This verse has some potential to make us nervous, doesn't it? Just wait till you see how Matthew renders it in Matthew chapter 11. But we're going to start out really easy, uh, no high-level stuff here, just what the first key to the kingdom is, and that is simply, what is the kingdom? Well, Jesus talks about the kingdom a lot. It's all over the New Testament, but it's kind of frustrating because there isn't an entry in the Bible that reads like a theological dictionary entry that gives us all the answers about what is the kingdom of God. There's this author that I used to read, and she's really dense, and like there's all kinds of hidden meaning in it, so I actually had to give up. Uh, 
But once uh, this uh, reporter, this reviewer asked this author, uh, he asked her, he goes, can you give us a synopsis in one sentence of your story? And she said, you know, if I could tell the story in one sentence, I want to have written a book. And that's kind of the way the kingdom of God is, too. We have the Bible. But uh, our verse tells us that the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Now, John the Baptist is this transition point in history. He is this inflection point because something new is happening. Scripture tells us that all kinds of people came to John to be baptized for the remission of sins. And that is a key point. And that's because in the Old Testament, up until John the Baptist, it was always, how are your sacrifices? Are you living up to the standard? Are you following the rules? But to come for the remission of sins, it's a watershed moment. It was actually the first revival. People came to this place in their hearts where they realized that they weren't pulling it off. No matter how good their sacrifices were, how good their tithing was, whether they were following the rules, how good their synagogue or church attendance was, they just weren't doing it. And that was really the point of the whole Old Testament, wasn't it? And this is actually the attitude, the heart attitude, that Jonathan Edwards used to describe the 18th century uh, Great Awakening. In his notes, he said that revival doesn't happen uh, when people are doing all their religious things the right way and the right amounts perfectly. It happens when people realize that despite all of that, their heart wasn't right and that they were sinners. Now, they're still Christians, but they were people that realized that they needed to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. And that is when revival happened, according to Edwards. And that was the attitude of these people that came to John the Baptist for the remission of sins. And it's where and when and how. It's always that is the way the kingdom starts to break into our world. That was the first time, but that's how it always has broken in successively. Now, it says right in our verse that since that time, and that is after John the Baptist. And there's other places in the New Testament where it tells us about uh, the kingdom is at hand, the time has come, the kingdom uh, has come near. So the kingdom is now. And it began with Jesus. Because at the end of this very long line of people that came to see John the Baptist to be baptized for the remissions of sins, guess who's at the back end of that line? Jesus. Jesus shows up to be baptized as well. And where Jesus is, so is the kingdom. That moment with John the Baptist was the moment that Jesus kicked off his ministry on earth. That was the kingdom kickoff. Now, to us Christians today, the kingdom is supposed to be this spiritual reality. It's, this, it's supposed to be this inner attitude of a voluntary acceptance in our lives of the rule of God and a recognition of the perfect one himself, Jesus, who placed himself in total and perfect subjection and obedience to his Father. And Jesus personifies the kingdom that way. And yes, the kingdom is here now, but we kind of stumble a little bit about it. It's only here partially. We're not just marching on, pulling it all off every day. One of my favorite Puritans described the way the kingdom is coming into the world like dawn in the morning. Listen to what he wrote. 
as the night gradually ceases and gives place to increasing day, first the morning star rises, next follows the light of the sun itself, but dimly reflected in the dawning of day. And this light increases, shines more and more until the sun lights the world with his direct light, which increases as he ascends higher above the horizon. Who is the morning star? Why, he's Jesus. Revelation 22, verse 16. That's one of his names. And as he rises, as Jesus rises, so does the kingdom. Now, the kingdom is partially here. Jesus established the beachhead. But sometimes we can be a little bit slow to advance, a little bit slow to press outward from that beachhead. The Christian life is kind of like this. The modern-day Christian life is like this. We have all these little fire bases, okay? If you've been in the military, you know a fire base, this little forward operating base deep inside enemy territory. So we'll have like FOB Charlie, forward operating base Charlie. That's like church. Then we'll have uh, forward operating base Delta. That might be our morning devotional. And forward operating base Lima. That's our life group. And, you know, once in a while, we poke up our head over the sandbags and we pop off a few rounds, but then we hunker down again. And we've seeded a lot of what should already be kingdom ground to non-Christians who, frankly, oftentimes they sound and act more Christian than Christians do. It frustrates. But for our part in our, in our FOBs, we're mostly hunkered down, waiting for air support. When Jesus comes back in the air, that's right. Then those sinners are going to get it. And that's completely true. At the end, as things begin to wrap up, Jesus is going to come back. But that is not how the kingdom is supposed to work in everyday life. Okay, Blake, so how do we experience the kingdom today? How do we uh, draw this battle line here at the end of COVID to live a new kind of life for the kingdom? By pressing in. That's our second point of the morning, pressing in to the kingdom. Our verse says about the kingdom that everyone is forcing their way into it. And that's Jesus talking. Now listen to how Matthew puts it in uh, chapter 11, verse 12. He says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. Now, those are really wild verses, aren't they? And they're some of my favorite uh-oh verses. And you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, Blake, this verse sounds like that people can just force their way into heaven. That there's these mean people out there being violent, and they're putting us in lockdown, and they're attacking the kingdom. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Because of the way the Greek translates, it's like one of the most clunky verses in the Bible. Uh, And I never thought I'd say this, but the New King James Version actually (laughs) puts it better. The NIV reads this, people are forcing their way in. The New King James reads like this, and everyone is pressing into it. What Jesus is saying is that The proper response to the gospel is to become a person of action, to act with urgency, to forcefully replace our own priorities with kingdom priorities. 
And the, everyone that Jesus is talking about here, the violent people uh, that Matthew's version uh, says, they're Christians. The people that have come for the remission of sins, the everyone here is Christian. Everyone is forcing their way in. Since the time of John the Baptist in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it says since that time, the gospel is being preached. That's us, folks. We're supposed to be the ones forcing. We're supposed to be the ones pressing. The same description, the same Greek root is used in Acts chapter 2 to describe the Holy Spirit coming in like a violent wind. The idea of forcing. And what... Jesus is saying here is that Christians in Matthew and Luke's day, when they're writing this, they were pressing in. Everyone is forcing their way in. They had this violent, forceful way of acting for the kingdom. They had resolved to do everything in their power, to use all the strength they have in every aspect of their lives, resisting sin in every excuse in pursuit of the kingdom. I read an article years ago, and I thought it was so cool that I clipped it. And I never would, I always hoped I would use it, but it was perfect for this. It was written by a soldier from a European country who was assigned to American forces in Afghanistan. He wrote that he was shocked when he started fighting with Americans. <laughs> he said that European doctrine almost to the country was to hunker down, play defense, fortify your position, and make a plan. What shocked him about American troops was their sheer violence. American doctrine was always advance, 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 improve your position, utterly destroy the enemy. And one thing that always blew his mind was that American soldiers could be like hanging out in like flip-flops and shorts and three minutes later be in full battle rattle. One of the problems with the American, well, I mean with the modern church is that we spend too much time in flip-flops and shorts. Tracy and I, we had our first uh, child, Maeve. Uh, we've been married for about five years. So we actually were married for five years without kids. We must have had like so much free time and fun. I can't remember a thing that we did though, okay? But Maeve, she's 22 today. Uh, she just graduated from Virginia Tech. So this will be the only shout out Maeve gets because there's no graduation ceremonies. So we love you, Maeve. But Tracy is so incredible. We were going to have our first child together. Uh, and within months of being married to Tracy, she had completely unraveled my DNA. <laughs> Any survival or self-care instinct I had <laughs> was gone. I was so lazy. And there's, oh, there's been a number of upgrades of Blake, a number of versions of Blake over 27 years of marriage. But... This version here, before we had our first kid, was the official rollout date of version two. It was the official release date for version two. Because I knew that I needed to get off my butt, okay? <laughs> with violent intention, with utter determination, forcefully. So what I decided to do was, I, go, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I literally decided that I would jump up like I was sitting on a hot stove every time Tracy needed something and any time Maeve needed something. That was the only way I, I could do it. And, like, I would jump up off the couch and, like, Tracy would be like, is somebody, like, robbing the house? It's just the way I had to do it. Because if I just sat there going, well, you know, uh, I got the last one, Tracy can get this one, or this Gator game is really good, I knew I wouldn't do it. And that's playing the 50-50 game, by the way. 
Whenever I officiate weddings with young couples, you can't go 50-50. You've got to go 100-100. I knew I would fail if I didn't. And I looked ridiculous doing it. But I needed to do it with everything I had, forcefully and with violence, because my sin nature would win otherwise. My, my lazy, uh, unraveled nature would just sit there and would win. And you know what happened? And my own violent reaction to my laziness. Tracy and Maeve and I grew closer. Maeve and I grew closer. I mean, you know, when you're 20, 22 years old, 23 years old or whatever, you sleep till 11 or 12 in the morning or whatever, getting out of bed in the middle of the night for a crying baby doesn't sound very attractive. And you know what? It wasn't easy to do. You dads and moms out there know that. But I forced myself out of bed every single time, and those 10 steps were horrible. But you know what? When I got to the foot of that crib and looked down at Maeve, my heart melted. And all those steps that I had to force myself to take, getting out of bed, they were all garbage. I never even thought of them again. And Maeve and Tracy became more and more precious to me as I pressed in. And that's how the kingdom works, by pressing in, taking those first hard steps for any kingdom task is actually the mean, means that God uses to let us see our own hearts, to sense our failings, to realize that our own righteousness and strength is not enough. And it prepares our souls to receive the gospel more deeply. And when we press in, the Holy Spirit blows in with force like in Acts 2, and it changes our hearts. And there's more joy and there's more thankfulness as Jesus becomes more and more precious to us. That's how the kingdom actually gets bestowed to us, by us pressing in. We can see it, we can experience it, and we can understand it more and more. You know what? You may be saying to yourself, Blake, I want this way of life. I want to live more in the kingdom. I want to use this change in status here, this post-COVID, to live my best kingdom life. I want to get out of the muddle, the morass, the fog. I'll be able to get out of bed and take those 10 steps towards the crib. How can I have that kind of life? That's the third key to the kingdom, the last one for today, by stumbling forward. Stumbling forward? What? That doesn't sound like you're being very successful. You should just be marching in victory and smiling, right? No, it's going to be hard. The smiling part will come later, okay? But we are going to stumble. But we have to stumble forward. Even Christ stumbled unto the cross, didn't he? Here are some of the scattered crosses that lay in our path that cause us to stumble. It's just too hard. I can't do it. Uh, you know, I'm not sure it's really something that I would like to do. I'm not really called to that. Do I have the time? Can I squeeze in some kingdom things uh, in between Johnny's eight lacrosse practices? Will I have time for the lake house or the beach house or condo? Anything that discourages us, that stops us, that turns us back, we are to press through with extreme violence. One thing that the European soldier noticed about the Americans was that they were always ready for a fight. Whenever the Europeans called for help, the Americans were at the gate in full battle rattle, ready to go. They never asked about the dangerousness of the mission or the difficulty. They were always ready to roll. We're to press through 
and go from flip-flops to full battle rattle. And that is your cross. Like Jesus said, whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross. The very fact that you are stumbling forward with the cross on your back is actually a sign that you are part of the kingdom. That's visual confirmation. And any Christian pressing into the kingdom of God, you're going to find difficulties. You're going to find all kinds of things in the way. Things that put, your comfort, put you out of your comfort zone, that test your abilities, that test your availability. But you've got to guard against the cross stopping you that's laying in the middle of the road. You can't let it be a roadblock. You've got to pick it up and you've got to carry it. Now, Paul is one of the great examples of pressing in. In Philippians 3.11, said, If any way I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. What? Why would Paul say that? I mean, if, Christian, if you're a Christian, you get resurrected from the dead. That's an automatic. That's locked in. Why would Paul say that? Didn't Paul know he was saved? You know, Paul was probably the most saved person in history. He actually saw Jesus. But you know about Paul? The thing about Paul is he never took his salvation for granted. He never took it for granted. He always pressed into the kingdom. And when Paul was writing that verse, the other things he was telling us all around that verse were all the troubles he had, all the problems that were in front of him, all the difficulties he had in living the kingdom life. But once he pushed through, you know what he, he, he called those 10 steps and getting out of bed in the middle of the night? He said it was all garbage. Compared to Christ, it was all garbage. It's a momentary difficulty. And pressing in, you know what else it does? It inoculates us. It vaccinates us. And it protects us from what Jesus said could also happen. Listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Well, now you may say, Blake, that sounds awfully close to legalism. Like by pressing in, you're trying to earn God's love. You know what? Oftentimes the people that make that accusation, though, are the ones that aren't doing much themselves. Now, they may grudgingly serve here and there, but it's also ironic because, you know, they may be serving here or there, and they may be crying legalism, but the people who cry the legalism are often the ones who often, they have a legalist streak themselves. Now, before you say, how dare you? And glass starts breaking all over your house. Hear me out. You want to know how I know? You want to know? I know because it's me. Because subconsciously, I have my own little list tucked in close to my heart. There's a few things that I'm good at, that I'm comfortable doing, that I have time for. And when I do the things on the list, you know what I say? I've done enough. Whenever you hear the word enough, I want you to ask yourself, enough for what exactly? Enough should be a trigger word to remind us of our own inner Pharisee because he is all of our dark passengers. 
And on the other side, these crazy, busy people for God, okay, here's how you, how you know it's not legalism, okay? The people that we say have the servant's heart, okay? The Nadidas and the Tracys and the Jackies and the core salt and light crew uh, and the new commandment guys, okay? First of all, they will deny that they're awesome servants. And by the way, that's one of the reasons you can tell a true servant because they'll deny it. But most of them will also tell you there's no way that they could ever earn what they get out of the kingdom for pressing in and what they do. Such incredible grace and love has flowed into their lives from pressing in that they said they could never pay God back for it. And you know what they want to do? They actually want to do more. So here's your homework. As a famous politician once said, never waste a crisis. Use the pandemic to hit the reset button. As we reopen, do not build your life under any circumstances under the old pre-pandemic platform. You know, the one where the kingdom got the leftovers. Make the kingdom your baseline. All those blocks that have been colored in for the kingdom now, leave them the way they are. Keep those blocks colored in. And as things start to come back online, the new time you found during the lockdown uh, for prayer, for devotionals, for meditation, for Bible reading, for community, for serving, make that the baseline and then build from there. Give Nova the leftovers. Decide today that you will no longer give God your table scraps, but you'll serve him with your best. I want to ask you one more thing, one more homework item here as we press into the kingdom. When it comes to the killing that happened in Minneapolis in the aftermath, all the underlying deep veins of sin that trace all the way back down into the core of human history in the garden, press in. I'm asking you to press in. Be more open-hearted. Be more open-minded. Be more empathetic. Press in to doing good. Press in to seeking justice. Press in to helping the oppressed in ways that are way out of your comfort zone. Make yourself uncomfortable. And to the oppressed themselves, you're going to need to press into forgiveness for something that seems unforgivable. That's the hard one to press into it in ways that make you uncomfortable, to forgive in ways that make you uncomfortable. And if what I've said here today during this sermon, any of it, if it's making you uncomfortable, you've come to the right place. And if you're not uncomfortable, you're not pressing in enough. Press in more until you are uncomfortable. Because pressing in from these two directions simultaneously, being more loving, caring for the oppressed, more open-handed, more empathetic on one hand and being more forgiving on the other, those are the two pressure points that get us to the starting point towards hope. That's the only kind of solution that's going to work, by the way, it's the kingdom solution. Because by oppressing your oppressors, it's not going to work. And by ignoring the situation, maybe posting a care emoji, that's not going to work either. There's only one place where true hope lies, and that's in the kingdom. And you know, Christian, you can do it. You can press in. 
And it's not just because Jesus is a great example. And he is a great example. And it's not just because he tells you to do it. He does tell you to do it. And it's not because, even because he's there for you when you stumble. He will be there in the form of the Holy Spirit, just like Simon was there for Jesus when Jesus was buckling under the weight of the cross. Those are all good reasons. But here's the real reason to press in. Jesus pressed in for you. He knew you would never be good enough to make it to the top of that hill, to make it back to God. So he pressed in for you. He did it violently and with intention, even as violence was being committed to him. So there's no way we can start the Christian life, get out our lawn chair and our flip-flops and shorts, and look at the beaten and bloody Jesus and not follow him. There's a way of life he wants us to live, and it's at the top of the hill. We are to follow him. So you can look at him, you can see all he's done, all that he's gone through, and not give up. But instead, when you love him for what he does, when you fall down and know he still loves you despite the fact you've fallen down and failed, you want to try even more. You can get up and follow him into the kingdom way of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we throw ourselves at your feet at these intractable, intractable problems, Lord, racial issues, uh, issues of violence and anger, Lord, uh, clashes in the streets. May there be a clashing in our heart, Lord. May we make ourselves more uncomfortable than we've ever been. May we come to a place in both sides, Lord, where we're pressing in to you, Lord. And as we press into you, only then can we press in to one another. I pray, Lord, that you would take this line at the end uh, of the lockdown, Lord. And as we look forward, we're not going to fill in those blocks on our calendar anymore. We're going to live a new life for the kingdom, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.